I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The FT Send money from your mobile phone. Why getting a mortgage could become more difficult, expensive and time-consuming. And are structured products a worthwhile home for your money? Welcome to the FT Money Show, the FT's most downloaded podcast. I'm Jonathan Ely and I'll be giving you all the money news this week in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleagues Adam Palin. Hello. And Emma Dunkley. Hello. Plus our special studio guest Nigel Bedford of LargeMortgageLoans.com. Hello. Now, the banking sector is not most people's idea of a technological innovator. It seems that barely a month goes by without another round of cash machine outages or online account access failures. But next week comes something genuinely quite new and exciting. From Tuesday the 29th of April, it will be possible to send a payment to someone else from your mobile phone just by picking names from your phone's contact list using a new system called PayM. Instant payments of this sort are not, of course, entirely new. If you use eBay, for instance, you've probably already got a PayPal account linked to your bank and credit card for paying other users. And if, like me, you've got children at school, you may well pay for school dinners, music lessons or excursions using a system like WisePay or ParentPay. But all of these systems are basically web-based, while payments from existing mobile banking apps usually require you to fiddle around entering account numbers and sort codes. Ironically, some of the poorest countries in the world have had an even simpler payment system for years. In sub-Saharan Africa, millions of people use the M-Pesa network run by Kenyan telecoms operator Safaricom, effectively bypassing the banks altogether. It seems we're just catching up. Adam Palin has more. Adam, first of all, how does this new system actually work? And is it being run by the banks or the mobile phone operators? Well, unlike M-Pesa... It is actually run by the uh, banks themselves, and indeed it's run through mobile banking apps. Unlike mobile banking at the moment, you don't need sort codes or account numbers to actually make a transaction. All you need to do to pay a friend or another individual is their mobile phone number, which can of course be just typed in or could be drawn from your contact list. Now, in order to get going with PayM, current account holders simply need to register their mobile phone number and link it to their current account. Once they've done that once, they can then make payments so long as the recipient is signed up to pay M. 
And can everybody join in with this, or is it limited to certain banks and certain mobile phone networks? Well, it's limited at the moment to nine banks. It's launching on the 29th of April. Current account holders have had since the 2nd of April to register. Now, the nine banks are the four main brands of the Lloyds Banking Group. That's Halifax, Bank of Scotland, Lloyds and TSB, as well as HSBC, Barclays, Santander, Danske Bank and the rather small regional Cumberland Building Society. Later on this year, RBS Group are going to join up, as well as Clydesdale, Yorkshire Bank and First Direct. And later on next year, Nationwide are signed up to join. One of the main omissions is the Cooperative Bank and a couple of other smaller providers, such as the Coventry Building Society. How secure is it? What happens, for instance, if your phone gets stolen? Well, in reality, it's as secure as your application's password uh, or indeed your security code, which is required to log in and make any payment. If your phone is lost, you obviously need to contact your bank immediately and they will simply suspend and reset your account and your details. You have the same legal protection that is applied to uh, mobile payment services at the moment. So in that sense, it's no less secure than existing mobile services. Perhaps an important question for many users, is it free? Well, at the moment, there's no provider charges for the service. It obviously depends on the terms and conditions. Future providers, they may indeed charge something for the service, but at the moment, it's absolutely free to to those customers who can sign up. Now, as I mentioned at the start, banking technology has been much lambasted recently, but this is um, one of several really quite useful initiatives that are in the pipeline. What else can we look forward to in the coming months and years? In the autumn, there's the planned launch of ZAP. ZAP will allow current account holders at five banks, at least to begin with, to pay for goods and services in shops or online via their mobile banking app. Other banks and building societies may join up later, but to begin with, that is Nationwide, HSBC, First Direct, Santander and Metro Bank. There's another thing in the pipeline, and that involves checks. Now, the government is consulting on legislation to speed up cheque payments and to allow customers to photograph their cheques and then send it along to their banks electronically. Now, the idea being that rather than taking six days or so to actually clear, this could cut it down to two. The technology has been employed in the US, where I gather it was initially designed to allow soldiers to pay in their cheques. Adam, thanks very much. There's more detail about PayM in this weekend's FT Money which you can read as part of the Weekend FT or online at ft.com forward slash money. And, of course, you can read on mobile devices too. Still to come on the show, do structured products really help you have your cake and eat it? First, though, let's look at some big changes coming up in the mortgage market. This weekend sees the launch of MMR. That isn't a controversial vaccine for measles, mumps and rubella in children. It's the Mortgage Markets Review, which is intended to make sure that the excesses of the pre-2007 housing boom never return. There's lots of evidence that housing booms are driven as much by sentiment and the price and availability of credit as they are by supply and demand of houses. Some other countries have tried to restrain reckless lending by imposing limits on multiples of salary, the loan-to-value ratio or the term of the mortgage. In Hong Kong, for instance, you can't typically borrow more than about 70% of a home's value and you can't have a loan term of more than 30 years. Regulators here have so far avoided those kinds of measures. 
but they still want to make sure that we don't return to the bad old days of 125% mortgages and the so-called liar loans where people self-certified their income levels. So what are they doing instead? Well, they're forcing lenders to focus on affordability rather than just salary, making them stress test repayments at higher interest rates and making more people take advice before they take out a mortgage. Here to tell us what it all means for consumers is Nigel Bedford of LargeMortgageLoans.com. Nigel, welcome back onto the show. A big part of MMR is this emphasis on affordability. How does this differ from the previous approach? In the old days, the key driver was someone's salary and a multiple of that was how much they could typically borrow. Normally four, four and a half or perhaps even five times that figure. The shift in emphasis now is very much looking at, on a monthly basis, actual affordability. How much can people afford to pay on a monthly basis for their mortgage? And the way that lenders are looking to assess that is they're really drilling down in great detail into what people spend on a monthly basis. Previously, all lenders will have taken into account loan payments, unsecured debt payments. Most lenders would have taken school fees, council tax and utility payments. Very few, however, would have taken, for example, gym memberships, the costs of a nanny, what you spend on food, what you spend on holidays, what you spend on going out. With the new regime, all of these things will need to be taken into account by all lenders. Now, there have been lots of tall tales in the tabloid press about three-hour Spanish Inquisition-style mortgage interviews with lenders, as you say, querying even the smallest items of expenditure that show up on a bank statement. Is it really going to be that bad? I think three hours might be a little bit over the top, but anybody particularly going direct to a bank where they're going to have to, as you alluded to earlier, get advice on the mortgage and can't just go in and say, I want that one you've got in your window. It's not going to be unusual to have a two-hour meeting and during that time the bank advisors will be going into great detail on all aspects of your your finances and, and particularly on expenditure. Yes they will query unusual items on a bank statement uh, but hopefully where well, there's a good rationale or a good reason behind it it's not necessarily going to stop somebody getting a mortgage. Now what about stress testing? Obviously interest rates are very low at the moment the lowest they've ever been. How high do you think banks and building societies will test repayment rates? Yeah, this is a very interesting one because in the MMR document, the regulator is looking at a five-year horizon. So they're looking at banks to build in what they think rates could go up to in five years. Now, every bank and every lender can use their own figures for this, and they do not have to, and most aren't, disclosing what those interest rates are going to be. But to give an example is uh, from Barclays, the Woolwich, who are their lending arm. Up until now, they've used a a rather random 5.69% interest rate to calculate affordability, even though there are rates available from them at 1.65 today, which is a cracking deal. Under the new regime, that 5.69 is now going to be assessed at 6.73%. Personally, I think that's a lot higher than rates are going to get in the next five years, but lenders can do what they want. Now, some have said that the FCA is going to ban these so-called teaser rates, which are these very low, say, two-year fixed-term rates, which are designed effectively to grab new business. Is that actually true? 
No, there's no truth in that. Although, that said, the FCA will be quite happy if more and more people do take five-year fixes just to give that uh, that greater stability. But there's genuine reasons why a two-year deal, whether it's fixed or variable, could be exactly the right option for many clients, particularly perhaps if they've got some money coming along in that time to reduce the mortgage or they're expecting significant pay rises or bonuses. And which sorts of borrowers may actually find it genuinely harder to get a loan once the new regime kicks off? The ones who are going to struggle most are those at the limits of affordability and who live to their means now. In the past it was always argued that, well, okay, fine I might spend £500 a month going out now, but once I've got a mortgage and I've got the responsibility of paying that, I'll I'll be happy to cut that back to £100 a month, for example. That's going to be a hard sell to get that across to a lender nowadays. So it's those that um, are at the limits of affordability, whether that's due to just having enough income or high expenditure or a combination of the two. And finally, Nigel, what advice would you give to those people who perhaps are in the process of applying for a mortgage now and will find themselves possibly having one of these new style interviews in the coming weeks? The key thing really is to to plan ahead. That's never changed, just that perhaps now it's more important than ever. The sort of things that people can do to make it easier for themselves is to limit unnecessary expenditure because when lenders do their assessments of affordability, they will look at bank statements and they will see what's going out on a, on a monthly basis. As always, make sure that all credit payments are up to date, no late payments, no missed payments, and using direct debits to pay everything on that basis is a good idea. You'll be amazed at how many people change jobs or buy a new car the week before they decide to apply for a mortgage. These things really do have a significant impact on the possibility of getting what you want. Plan it, do things in the, in the right way, and most certainly be prepared to have three months' bank statements ready for any meeting, whether it's with a broker or directly with a bank. And one final thing that I would certainly suggest, anybody who may have gone as far as getting an agreement in principle from a lender more than a week or so ago should certainly contact their lender and see whether that still stands. Thanks very much, Nigel. That was Nigel Bedford of LargeMortgageLoans.com. You can read lots more about MMR and its likely effects on the mortgage market in our cover feature this weekend. We look at the new rules in detail, offer lots of practical advice and tips, and we also look at how mortgage lending is regulated in other countries. Don't forget that the Weekend FT is on sale on both Saturday and Sunday, and you can also read online at any time, ft.com forward slash money. We're always keen to hear your views too. You can leave comments on articles or you can email us directly. The address is money at ft.com. On to our final item for today. Structured products are a classic have-your-cake-and-eat-it offering. You may get all the upside of the stock market if it rises, but you get your money back if it doesn't. As a result, they tend to sell very well at times of uncertainty, such as the period just after the financial crisis when markets fell steeply. Structured products have historically been popular with financial advisors too, because they typically pay generous commissions. However, critics say that structured products are opaque, inflexible and maybe riskier than they seem. Here to weigh the arguments for and against is Emma Dunkley. Emma, a group of advisors in Newcastle that specialises in structured products, has this week released a whole batch of data relating to their recent performance. What does that data tell us? Well, it shows a whole range of structured products which matured in the first quarter of this year have actually done pretty well. Of those products sold by advisors in the UK to investors, and there are around 116 of them, the average total gain has been around 29%, um, and this is around a four-year period. And in terms of the types of products... 
Those where the capital is at risk have actually done better and returned about 32% over a three-year period. Those products where capital is protected have delivered around 26%, and this is over a five-year period. Is that because these are great products, or is it just because the stock market has also done pretty well in that time frame? How do those returns compare, say, to the FTSE 100? Those products that are linked to the FTSE 100 have largely performed in line with the index, or in some cases done better. And in those cases, it's largely due to result that the returns are slightly leveraged or geared upwards due to the mechanisms that banks use behind the scenes. Just to add that not all products are linked to the FTSE 100. So, for example, you get them linked to the US market, the European markets, in some cases a basket of commodities, and in other cases really bespoke indices, such as those based on merger and acquisitions in the US. So there's a whole range of underlying assets you can get these structured products linked to. Typically, one of the big attractions of structured products is the fact that the, the downside is limited and it's known at the outset as well. But surely that must come at some cost. What do you have to give up in return for guarantees over your capital? You have to give up a higher level of upside. So if you buy a structured product that's linked to the market and equities happen to soar over a five-year period, it's likely that you won't achieve the same high returns, but your upside could be capped in order to receive that capital protection. So it's a sort of trade-off that you have to be willing to take. But at the same time, it depends entirely on the product you choose. So, for example, if you do go for a capital-protected product then it is more likely that your upside will be capped. If you go for an auto-call product or so-called kick-out product, then that means if the market hits a certain level, the product will literally kick out and you get a certain return, but you'll miss out on the remaining upside of the market. What about the counterparty risk? Because structured products are often sold and marketed by banks, but they're not actually the same as bank deposits, are they? No, they're not. With bank deposits, you have a level of protection under the Financial Services Compensation Scheme, Whereas with structured notes, or the majority of structured products out there, these are bonds issued by banks, and therefore any investor is exposed to the credit risk of a bank. Now, this issue really came to light in 2008 when Lehman Brothers collapsed, because not only were they the backer of their own structured products, providing the bond which gives you your capital return back, but they also provided the bond and the, the capital protection, essentially, for a whole raft of other products under different names such as key data and other third-party providers. So as a result, a lot of investors saw a lot of their capital um, eroded or completely lost in some cases. But since then, concerns over counterparty risk have waned somewhat. But it's worth noting that this is still a significant issue, and in many cases, Those banks with the worst credit ratings tend to offer higher returns and yields. So investors must really be careful that if they opt for a product with a high headline figure, a high enticing yield, they have to dig a little beneath the surface and figure out, well, what is the situation with this bank? What is the credit rating? How stable are they? And finally, some are touting structured products as one option for those who don't want to buy an annuity when they retire and want to take their pension savings in cash instead, which they will be able to do from from next April. Are structured products a good option for retirement? They're certainly one option insofar as they offer the flexibility for investors to pick an investment with a certain time horizon. So instead of getting an annuity in order to achieve consistent income, instead they could opt for a structured product with, say, a five-year term, lock away their money and know they get a certain income over that period or achieve a certain degree of capital growth over that period, perhaps in the knowledge that their capital will be protected. So in that regard, perhaps more cautious investors will know that they have that certainty of returns and what to expect. 
Others point out that the risks are substantial. So not only do you have counterparty risk, but you have the risk of if you buy the product when the market is uh, at quite high level, if at maturity date the market isn't at the same level, you might not have your capital back in full and you might not achieve the types of returns you had expected. And during that period, you can't really take your money out. If you do, you could seriously receive a big hit. And it's also worth pointing out that in terms of fees, these aren't really that explicit. There are a lot of costs behind the scenes that are built in so that when investors are told about the risk return profile, they they see the return figure, but actually the costs have been taken away beforehand. Thank you very much, Emma. There's more on those returns in the first quarter, plus on the pros and cons of structured product in this week's FT Money. We also look at the issue of money laundering and the questions that brokers and investing platforms have to ask you to make sure that your money came from legitimate sources. We examine why prices for posh property in the suburbs and the shires are now growing faster than prices in the capital. John Redwood looks at the outlook for the UK market in his monthly column on passive investing, while I take a look at the vexed issue of executive pay, as Barclays' annual meeting generates the first big fat cat row of the year. If you want to add your own comments, let us know about a hot topic or share your thoughts, you can do so via Twitter. The handle is FTMoney, or you can go online. The address is ft.com forward slash money, or you can send us an email. The address for that is money at ft.com. We will be back next week, but for now, it's goodbye from me, Adam, Emma, and our special guest, Nigel Bedford. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.